Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash Patchwork Heart Ministry today. Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Anne DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. We're here for another week, episode 43. It's hard to believe that we are uh, on episode 43 of the Sowing Hope Podcast, but here we are, and uh, back and better than ever, as uh, Mike and Mike used to say every morning on ESPN. Well, welcome, Anne, and thanks so much for being my co-host, as always. Oh, good morning. A beautiful Tuesday morning in July. Great to be here. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about our guest today, because uh, he's no stranger to the program. No stranger to the program. <laughs> and he's he's been kind of a pop-on guest at, on, on some of our earlier shows. So I welcome Father Matthew Phelan. He's a Mercedarian friar and also a pastor at Our Lady of Mercy Parish and St. Bridget's up in Leroy, New York. So, so thrilled to have him with us because we have a lot to talk about as we kind of uh, determined some topics for this show. Uh, one will be on the Catholic Church's uh, response with the, uh, the, the, what we call the PPP loan, which we'll, we'll get into that, as well as the response with COVID-19 over these last several months. So welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, actually, I think I think I maybe vocally was only I, I there was one show I know that I called in on. And uh, a lot of times I pop in uh, and you know, might send some messages on, you know, the uh, whatever, you know, when I interact or whatever, um, you know, but uh, but it's still it's good to be here. And I certainly, uh, you know, I, I tune in quite a bit uh, to the show even. So I sometimes I'm kind of back there in the background and in the silence. And uh, who knows, maybe after listening to me today, people will prefer me to be back uh, in the silence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't and maybe so. not. <laughs> and maybe not. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you'll be a new host or something. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you never know. Right. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking, and I know, uh, Father, we were talking right before the, the program that it would be a good idea for those who don't know you and mm. are not familiar with the Mercedarians. Um, I'll just say first that I'm familiar with them because uh, I'm mm what they call a third order Mercedarian. And there's a longer story to how that happened, but sure. um, I'm also the director for a Mercedarian outreach called the St. Raymond Onatis Foundation for Freedom, Family and Faith. And that is uh, one way that we are uh, in touch and, and know so well the Mercedarians. And I've had them on a guest here on this podcast several times. Um, so yeah, maybe if you can start out with just explaining to the viewer, uh, the listeners here on the podcast, uh, who are the Mercedarians? 
Okay. And, and, you know, some, some, your regular listeners may probably already know a little bit about us, but I'll, so I'll keep it somewhat brief because you, uh, you may have talked to others at, at length at this, but Mercedarians uh, grew out of the, uh, were founded in the 13th century. Um, our founder, St. Peter Nolasco, a merchant, uh, was moved by, uh, first of all, Christian charity, and then later Our Lady um, to found a religious order to help ransom Christian captives who were uh, enslaved uh, by, um, by Muslim captors originally on the island of Majorca, then in southern Iberia and northern Africa. There were other ransoming orders. Um, what made the Mercedarians unique is 100% of what they, we begged for, the alms, were used to, to redeem the captives. So in Alaska and his brothers would go collect alms, then they would go on these missions into, the, into these other territories with the protection of the King of Aragon. They would go into these territories um, and then negotiate the release of, of Christians. There was great incentive for the Christians to convert to Islam, apostatize from Christianity. And so in Alaska, trying to preserve their faith, would, uh, they would purchase their freedom. Um, if the mercenarians would run out of money or material objects to exchange for the captives, and there was still a possibility of redemption, uh, the, the Mercedarians were disposed to use themselves as the ransom. So let the slave go and I will be in his place. And then, you know, and then the others would go back and try to, you know, maybe get more funds than to redeem the Mercedarian who was captive. But um, that's how the order found it. And through the centuries, um, that charism, what, what was really at the heart of that work and the spirit that was involved in that work was really to the the um, prevent it or the preservation of the faith among those who were in danger of losing the faith, and so what grew out of there was that that the there was that preservation of faith uh, in divine worship became the two key fonts uh, in, in in the life of the order of mercy, um, you know, and then in, in the you know modern period we in various places around the world, you know, there's all kinds of forms of captivity which. Um, physical, spiritual, psychological, uh, that emotional, all types of captivities that can endanger uh, people's faith. And so uh, in each place where the Mercedarians go, we seek to identify um, those, those risks to the faith. And, um, you know, and then we do that within the context of the apostolic work of the church promoting, preserving, teaching the faith, uh, even among the faithful. Yeah, it's such a good order. And um, I'll just add that it's, yes, absolutely. You know, I believe that. Uh, and also they're located in, headquartered in Philadelphia, and then they have uh, other other churches and places that they're ministering else, to. Yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland, um, Cleveland, uh, also, like as you said before, Leroy, New York, Burgeon, New York, which are my two parishes here. Uh, uh, we have um, we have a uh, two two different uh, communities right now down in Florida, one in St. Petersburg, uh, and then we have um, a very new community, our newest community. Um, the Friars live in McClenny, Florida, and um, they have a parish in McClenny and a parish in Stark, Florida, and down there, uh, Father Richard Rash and Father Michael Donovan, and, and that community, um, they also. They're, they're, they do a lot of prison ministry. There's quite a few um, correctional institutes and everything from maximum security prison to, to minimum 
uh, in that area, and then also a psychiatric hospital. Um, and in fact, Father Richard is uh, himself. He uh, he had been a pastor for years in Cleveland. Originally, he had been in prison ministry, so he's also kind of doing both. He's now a pastor and doing prison ministry. And in fact, he's um, you know he may be a great person to talk to sometime because you know he he is um, he's a chaplain for for death row inmates, and of course that's quite um, quite a daunting a daunting task. Uh, and I know that certainly that takes that takes a great uh, spiritual toll and a spiritual strength. So um, we're we're certainly very um, very very uh, proud to have Father Richard in, in our order. Him doing you know that that wonderful ministry there, and and Father Michael Donovan also, and and we're going into the prisons and 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 uh, maintaining the faith. Uh, you know, among those some who have you know are doing the just punishment for for their actions, but are still certainly in the image and likeness of God, and. Um, I, I'm kind of going off, off uh, kind of off track here a little bit, but I, I, I'm very interested. And I just read the other day um, that Cardinal Pell has written his memoirs, and he talked about he speaks about his time in prison in Australia and being falsely accused, and and he talks about really God's presence and action, even you know within the within the prisons there. Um, and I think it's going to give us a lot of insight. Um, and appreciation for the dignity of, of even those again who have made mistakes in their lives, but again, God still calls them to Himself. Absolutely. Now I know I'm I'm thinking of Bill too because mm. that particular topic of uh, social justice and mm. also what you just described as. Um, inmates who are on death row bill mm. i know you might have some words to yeah. say there i mean yeah i uh, you know what um i'll just say this and not many people know um this probably about me but uh i'll say that in high school uh i i actually changed high schools um my or right before i even began high school i changed high schools i had applied to go to a catholic high school um mm. called uh, bishop shanahan in philadelphia uh area and um, I, ele I elected, I had some learning disabilities, some other issues, and I needed to go to the public school. Uh, and we made that decision, Great Valley, uh, great school, love Great Valley High School um, in, in Malvern. Um, but, but I had to read two books <laughs> um, within like three weeks in order to do like the summer reading exams and everything. And one of the books that I read was Dead Man Walking by um, Sister Helen Prejean. And from that moment, I, I'll never forget where I was. I was on the beach in New Jersey reading this book on summer vacation because I had to power these books through. Um, and, and as I'm reading this book on the beach, in, there was something that spoke to my heart about, about death row, and it was, it was just incredible. And so since then, I have been very, very... Um, I want to say, you know, outspoken about it, but I have, but I have uh, done a ton of research, a lot of prayer behind the scenes. Uh, I've read several books, um, in, in, including um, "Forgiving the Dead Man Walking" uh, by Debbie Morris, which is probably even a better book than than Sister Helen's book. Um, but I just, I just have done a, a lot of reflection about um, the 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 incarcerated, and in addition to that, the the death row aspect of car incarceration. And so, um, I just, I just feel so very strongly about, uh, and about, um, you know, 
proper justice and mm-hmm. and what that looks like um, on our on our uh, Catholic moral plane. And so I just I, I just uh, really uh, thank your order for for engaging in those ministries. I thank the Mercedarians mm-hmm. for engaging in those ministries because you know we, you know we talk a lot about. Um, pro-life, and we, of course, I'm 100%, mm-hmm. you know, anti-abortion, anti-euthanasia, anti all of those things. You know, we're not Catholics; sure. are not for all of that. But the, but I, but but I think the one thing that does miss um, the mark sometimes is the Catholic stance, which just recently was updated by Pope Francis in 2017 or 18. Um, he just updated the Catechism on on um, the the death penalty. And what right. Catholics believe about the death penalty, but we we need to just take some time um, to to reflect on that. So I really do thank you and your order, uh, the Mercedarians, for engaging in this type of ministry, ransoming captives. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I mean totally. We we uh, we're totally on board with that. There's so mm-hmm. there's such a huge social justice you, aspect. You know, I when you think you know, and I, I guess you know, if you reflect upon, well, you know. To put it bluntly, you know, in, in our nation, I mean, we're in an incredible spiritual battle. And and so many don't recognize that what we are fighting, our principalities and powers. And, you know, when you think about, um, in one sense, there's a certain spirit. Uh, when we talk about the culture of death, there's almost a spirit of death, at least among someone who want to see the, put, for instance, put our country to death mm-hmm. for her past sins. And so it's almost there's that spirit that same spirit of, of vengeance or, you know, or misplay that or lack of forgiveness, you know, again, forgiveness doesn't mean that there's not, you know, uh, just punishment, you know, so, so, but, you know, the, this, I, this, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making sense here, yeah, see where I'm going with this, yes. but there is almost, you know, people, there's so much anger and hatred that's, that's going around. And it's just, we wanted to say, okay, there's, you know, you made a mistake and there's nothing redeeming anymore. We have to wipe it out and start over. And it, it's, it's almost the same spirit that, 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 you know, closes our hearts to, you know, and, and then, you know, makes us accept, you know, capital punishment. Um, you know, it's almost that same spirit, but it, it, that attacks us culturally. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, and, and there is no, there is no mercy. Right, there is no mercy, and mercy, no mercy as, yeah. as as you mentioned, Father, it does not mean that just punishment isn't due for sin or or for or, or for mistakes. You know, right. our our God is a just God, and He will call us to justice, but He is also merciful, and mm-hmm. and so those two things always have to live in in conjunction with one another. Mercy and justice go hand in hand. You know, one is like the left hand, one is like the right hand. I mean, that's Amen. that's how it is. Yeah. I, I agree. And um, I will say that to both of you, uh, especially this podcast, uh, is how we came together, Bill, because when we, dis- when we started to talk about uh, the Catholic faith and discovered that we're both very pro-life on that end, but that we also believed in the social justice parts. Uh, we, we, we both realized that it was something that you don't see very often within uh, podcasting, uh, that combination of the total package of the faith. So that's one reason why we came together. And of course, myself with the Mercedarians and believing everything that you just said, Father, about ransoming the cap- captives, 
and also just the, the holistic picture of justice and mercy uh, was, is why I'm with the Mercedarians uh, as a third order and uh, with the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation, which I will add that Father Matthew was the, you know, one of the, 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 the priests that actually came in and, and founded, uh, the order founded it, right? The order founded it, but he was the one that was inspired to uh, begin this foundation to help families in crisis. Those who are mar being marginalized, and uh, and even specifically those who are affected by divorce. That's uh, where we've started this uh, mission to help those affected by divorce and separation. It, it was, you know, and that was well part of that, uh, you know, that inspiration. Um, you know, there's a, a prayer that that's known certainly within the circles of the Saint Raymond Foundation, also known in the circles of where I am here in Leroy, New York. Uh, where our, our novitiate since the 1950s, uh, w which used to be here, uh, um, it was here for about 50 years in Leroy, our novitiate was dedicated to St. Raymond Anatus. And uh, there was a prayer for Christian families um, through the intercession of St. Raymond Anatus. And this you know, prayer was composed in, the, uh, I guess it would have been in the maybe the late uh, 1940s. The original imprimatur for it was from a Cleveland Bishop. Um, no, it was actually a, a Milwaukee Archbishop Moses Kiley was the imprimatur on the prayer. Um, but it was interesting because even back then the prayer spoke, it spoke of, of, you know, the, the family being, you know, the most ancient institution of humanity um, and really being, you know, necessary for the stability of culture. And then because of that, you know, the, the, the enemy was, is attacking family with suicidal fury. And so that was, you know, recognized back then. And, you know, we look, you know, we fast forward 50 now to 70, you know, years later and um, how prophetic that prayer was, even in recognizing that at that time. And today, even now where we have, you know, forces in our culture that, you know, actively speak of that, that, that we must undo the idea, you know, of, of the of the nuclear family and, you know, in Western civilization to build something new. And it's just it's it's very it can be very frightening, uh, um, but um, you know it. So you know that became an inspiration for that to recognize you know that those captivities that were coming through families being in crisis and and we do live, we try to live out God's grace in this fallen world, and so at times we fall short, but that's where God's grace then provides and perfects us. And so the idea was even you know. We had to we had to make sure that you know okay so that so there's a problem maybe there's a crisis in a family maybe there's uh, you know a family breaks apart um, that doesn't mean people are condemned to hell or something That's like right. that you know but that now God's grace comes in and then we as Christ's body the church um, we can with God's grace help to fill in you know, those, those things that might be lacking, helping to, you know, be that family, that larger family, you know, again, this in this, from the secular point, you know, there's, oh, well, you know, there's that, that phrase that was popularized by, um, by Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. Um, but, you know, and then Rick Santorum, I said, well, no, it takes a family. Well, uh, you know, I guess as we as Catholics, and we, you know, and uh, we probably, you know, well, we could say maybe it takes a communion. It takes a communion within the church, which is family, and it is 
even deeper than the village. It takes yeah. a communion. Yeah, I Amen. love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that too. And mm-hmm. on the topic of what we were just discussing, uh, your order um, and also the, the St. Raymond Anatas Foundation, I just want to mention the two websites, if I could quickly. Mm-hmm. Is uh, If people are listening and would like to check out and learn more about the Mercedarians, you go to orderofmercy.org. And I know that on all the social media platforms that it's uh, Mercedarian Friars USA. Uh, they have a great Instagram page, a uh, good Facebook page. So learn more about them. Uh, and I, I think you will get some very good information on, on their website, especially. And then, and then once in a while, I mentioned the website for the foundation that I represent as the director. Uh, so if you want to learn more about us, you go to uh, nonatus.org. That's spelled N-O-N-N-A-T-U-S dot org. And as I said, we help families in crisis and those affected by divorce and separation. So, um, but on the topic of mercy and forgiveness, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about forgiveness too with the topic that you mentioned about our society right now, mm-hmm. because it doesn't, it's not just a, uh, a an issue on a whole for a groups of people or for our country. It's an individual issue. Uh, sometimes there's a group thinking mentality when it comes to the judgment of what other people, what people believe. And people like to just point a finger and say, well, you're, you're this or that, or, you know, label them as something that they they really aren't. And I think you, you know what I'm talking about. So um, maybe you could discuss that too. Oh, you know, certainly it's it's the hot topic of our time, you know, and I used I use a phrase and which I, I thought maybe more people knew the other day I was talking to you and I used a phrase and you hadn't heard it and, and others that I would expect that hadn't heard it. And, um, and so, you know, and, and that's, I guess, it's a phrase that we, I guess, as Catholics should probably be, be aware of if we're not and that and then the, the phrase is the cancel culture, because that's what we're in right now is this cancel culture. So in other words, if you if you did something in the past that 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 goes against whatever the you know whatever the um, the socially acceptable thought of our secular society is today, it's not enough even to say you're sorry or or you know try to do better. It's you know what you're done and you have to be canceled out. Anything you've written, anything you've said in the past, need to just be removed you know, from society, it's, it's, it's almost like a cultural book burning, um, you know, that, that, that was seen, um, you know, in, in places, you know, in the early 20th century with the various revolutions and the, you know, the Bolshevik revolution in Russia, you just, you just, you just get rid of any evidence of the past. And we kind of see that today, whereas, you know, you know, from the Christian standpoint, um, you know, we say, you know, you know, you know, God forgives us, but even when we receive God's forgiveness in the sacrament, we have, it's not that now our, our past in God's eyes, as far as the guilt of our sin is removed, Christ has removed that uh, and, and, and healed us through his sacrifice on Calvary. But our memories, though, do help, can help us to prevent doing the same things in the future. And if we just were to suddenly wipe our memory and say, just, just forget everything. Well, we might do the same thing again. And so sometimes, you know, we do. So we, we should grow from our mistakes to say, no, I'm not going to do that again. You know, and that's you know, when we, when we say the act of contrition, you know, we resolve not to sin again. Sometimes we still fall, 
you know, out of weakness, but we keep, you know, moving forward, receive that forgiveness and we learn and, and we keep going forward. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about cancel culture. That's really only possible when we don't recognize a merciful God. Because if you think about it, our infidelity, our constant sinning, despite what God gave us, imagine if God took the approach of the cancel culture. One sin, boom, we're done. Right. We're done. Oh my goodness. And, and so, again, if we believe in that merciful God, um, we have to resist that cancel culture. And sometimes we Catholics, we can get caught up. You know, we're in very divisive times um, and Catholics are split, you know, in our political, our, the political sphere and everything like that. But as Catholics, we can never, never, ever give into that cancel culture or become a part of that because it doesn't reflect God's mercy. It doesn't uh, reflect God's forgiveness. It doesn't reflect God's truly transformative power. And if we truly believe that, then we don't cancel and wipe out, but we learn. And we say, you know what? I forgive you. Let's move forward. Today we're gonna from today we're gonna commit to walk hand in hand, side by side, and build a new future from today. And we're not gonna, you know, we're, as God has put this behind us, we must put it behind us. Learn from it, but now it no longer controls us. Mm. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes a ton of sense. And I think when you're talking about this, Father, I think uh, there's a lot of people out there going, this is what's happening in, in our culture today. This is what's going on in our, Amen. in our world. And how do we stop it? How do we, how do we do that? Well, you know, I, I, I often would, would, you know, talk to, you know, my, my former high school students, you know, in, in, in youth ministry about the history of the church and, and why it's so important that we, we understand this. So, you know, think about it, you know, we, we didn't just, uh, eliminate, you know, here, here's the analogy that just popped into my mind as you were talking to. It's, we didn't just throw out the Old Testament when Christ came and gave mm. us a New Testament. We didn't just throw it out. We, it's still included in our Bibles, folks. Sure, right? yes. Like, we, we need this, you know, tradition to say, okay, well, here's, look at what we are building upon. Look at what Christ is building upon. And it's the same mm. thing with us today. It's the exact same thing with us today. We're building upon, we're part of this new covenant, but we're constantly revealing and understanding our relationship to it. And yeah. the moment that you throw it out and say, oh, it's not relevant anymore, you know, here, here we are uh, in today's society, this is outdated, it's, we don't need it anymore. We, I can't tell you how many times we hear that. You know, yeah. the, you know, this church is an outdated institution. It has no me bearing in society today. Uh, there are there are people that just want to cancel it out. There's people that want right. to cancel our yes. church out, and we we're Let's not going to allow that to happen here. I mean, you know, as, as Catholics, you know, we, I mean, I I've studied media too, and I know you have too, Father. And when you, when you think about it, you know, there are there are people out there in the media where it's controlled by a certain narrative, it's controlled by mm -hmm. a certain organization, and they're only allowing certain voices to be heard because this is what they want to push. This is the mm -hmm. narrative that they want to push out. Well, here on this program, here on this podcast, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, right, you know, right, right. And Ann and I are making sure of that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's God's work. I, I really, it was the, the Holy Spirit that brought us together uh, because one of the things that Father Matthew and I have talked about, and I think that the show reflects the same thing, 
Um, the church isn't just a whole, it's, it's individual human beings that we must show uh, respect, dignity, and love. And that does mean sometimes being friends and communicating with people that we might not necessarily agree with every single thing that they do and say. You know, right. uh, Jesus calls us to be friend with people who are not necessarily exactly and think like us, right? Because we're all, uh, in some ways, we are all brothers and sisters. And that is one way we bring peace is by uh, continuing to remember that we still have to treat everyone with that respect. If nothing else is left, at least that respect should be there on both sides, on mm -hmm. both sides. So and with that said, I know we're about halfway through the program. Mm -hmm. I know that we wanted to talk about something called the the PPP program, sure. which maybe Father Matthew, you can explain that whole situation. <laughs> I know about the PPP loan myself yeah. because of yeah. the foundation that I happen to work mm -hmm. with. And, and we, we, I will admit, we have applied for it. So <laughs> yes, yeah. as a Catholic nonprofit mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. went through a tough time during the, the pandemic. So mm, sure. Yeah, well, you know, now, you know, and this is, you know, my, my poor parishioners, before every mass this last Sunday, they uh, they heard me address this, and 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 so and I and I think the word is beginning to get out there, but perhaps there maybe our listeners maybe that haven't heard this, so it's just important. Um, you know, I guess my first of all, uh, look the the PPP loan. PPP stands for Payment Protection Program, and so when our country went into this pandemic mode where we began to close things and, and you know, churches kind of closed, businesses closed and everything to try to prevent the rapid spread. So we didn't get overwhelmed by the virus. Of course, it had a great, it had a great financial effect um, on, on everybody. Um, and so kind of as a stopgap to kind of buy some time, you know, that's uh, in, in the, our government, Washington, DC, um, maybe one of the, few times they've actually accomplished something uh, together with the president and the Congress, although it would, you know, it would, it wasn't easy, but they've had the payment protection program in which small businesses and nonprofits could apply for. Uh, and I use loan alone in air quotes because it's basically, a, it's really a, almost a, a certain handout in a sense that if you followed all of the rules that came with it, it would be forgiven. If you didn't follow the rules, then it would have to be paid back. Um, and so that, that's kind of the background of it. Um, last Friday, it started with an AP article and then it went, as often happens, one part of the press reports something and it becomes a press narrative. And the headlines that you began to see were church pockets 1.4 billion in PPP loans or church and, and, make, and making it look as if, okay, that's terrible. The Catholic church nonprofit organization is pocketing all of this money. And there were all, you know, there's, it wasn't clearly explained. So people begin to think, oh yeah, we're using this for, to pay lawyers and our, you know, in defense and sex abuse cases. I mean, so all of these, and I, and I, I saw very um, derogative comments going on social media regarding this. So it got me furious. So I had to respond and I respond with my own little Facebook rant. It got me furious because um, that, you know, our, in the state of New York, and I think which is similar to a lot of states at the parish level, we are our own 
um, nonprofit. We have our, our own uh, uh, tax ID number and everything. So we're a separate corporation. We do fall under the group exemption that's granted the, through the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops. St. Raymond and Nottis also in the Catholic directory, the same would apply to you. But we are our own entity. So we we received this loan. And when you received the loan at the beginning, the stipulations was 75% had to be used for staff for your salaries. And then the other 25% can be used for operational costs, such as utilities and things like that. And it has to be very, very meticulously recorded and reported back. And, and there were the, the application process was long. My poor bookkeeper had to go do things that, that, that she doesn't normally have to do, you know, and research and things. And so it was a very extensive application. We go through the bank, we had to wait. And then she has to do very meticulous reporting on this. And the idea was to preserve the jobs of your staff members. And, and, and in fact, if you were to get rid of any staff, okay, well, we just to save money, we're going to cut this staff member. Once you cut staff, you don't get forgiven the loan. It had to, so the idea was to maintain the jobs, okay? And that way, and, and um, I know there's some people that think, well, why does a Catholic church need employees? Well, you know, we function within 21st century America. Um, you know, if we were in the 1850s, it might not be an issue, but we are in the modern day. So, we, you know, we, we do have, we have laws that we have to follow. We have policies. We, in New York State, we have to, you know, we we are our, our different things that we have to do for um, that we have to follow government regulations when it comes to, um, you know, d discrimination or sexual harassment. We, you know, uh, we have, you know, secular regulations we have to follow. So, you, we do need a staff. If we didn't have that staff, it would be all on the priest to do all of those business aspects. In that case, he could never do the sacraments. He'd have no time to do that, you know. So, you know, we we did you know receive that that loan. It helped to preserve the staff. Uh, I, I, I joked with the people this weekend, and it really wasn't much of a joke. I told it, you know, if, if I didn't have my staff, I'd probably drop dead by now from exhaustion. People tell me, "Bother, you look tired," because we have been doing more work during this pandemic. I'm having to do some because as our office closed, mm -hmm. um, and actually, you know, we we're learning now how to do things for you know remotely. And right now, just because. There's so many things that we would have to hoops we have to hop through and things that we have to have ready to have our offices open right now. In my parish, we've chosen to keep the offices closed and continue to work remotely. Um, so um, again, all of this is to, you know, we cooperated with secular authorities because we don't want people to get sick. Yeah, We did want to take the pandemic yeah. seriously. And in the church, we're not just this myopic where there's only one train of thought. We have people in the church that don't care about the pandemic and don't care if they get it or not. We have others who are at great risk and they're afraid and they don't, or they don't want to get it and bring it to their family members who are at risk. And we have to try to encompass all of them. And it's not an easy task, yes. you know, but the cynicalness like of the media to, you know, to just, Oh, look at this, this is terrible. This greedy, rich Catholic church receiving this money. How dare they, you know? Um, and, you know, in my discussions with this, there was, um, and I won't name him, but there was a, a gentleman who, who um, uh, he's, you know, he said he, he's done bookkeeping for the church for 25 years and responding to somebody who he said, you know, he said, a lot of people think the Catholic church has all kinds of money and is rich. He says, I do the books. I said, you'd be surprised how, 
how little we actually do have. You know, people see buildings and they think, wow, you have all these, you know, and I get, you know, and so you look how wealthy you've got all these buildings, these churches, these festivals. And the way I would say to that is like, okay, and you have your house. Um, you know what? You have a nice house. So you know what? You don't need any money. You're rich. Imagine if you didn't have income to pay the tag or to pay the operation of the way to actually live just in your house. Just to live, just to yeah, live yeah. and get by. Well, your exactly. house has value, but that there's only value if you were to sell it. I mean, right. I mean, it's got its value because it's got the roof over your head and everything, but its monetary value is not liquidated. So when we get down to like base liquid assets, you know, sometimes parishes are surviving, you know, just like people survive paycheck to paycheck, parishes sometimes survive week to week to pay the bills, to keep the lights on, to um, keep the infrastructure going. Um, you know, we do very careful and meticulous budgets. Okay, we're going to budget this to charity and this to charity. And that's the way a parish works. You know, charities, you know, do their thing also. But, you know, it was just, it was very frustrating when we have taken great risk to comply and to cooperate with secular authorities. We could have, as some mostly non-Catholic, said there were some non-Catholic congregations that said, well, we have our freedom of religion, and so we don't have to cooperate. And they, you know, and that's not what we chose to do as a Catholic church. We we chose, and and we chose to cooperate. And the media was, you know, they, they certainly go after those who don't cooperate, but now they're going after us for no reason, causing a scandal where there is no scandal when we have chosen to cooperate. That's insidious. It's insidious. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, on my own, my own perspective, and even from attending mass in my area, honestly, I think the church has done so well with their response with all the online masses and uh, and just obeying all the rules with when you go into mass with all the cleaning that has to be done of every single pew at between masses and how all the pews are, you know, roped off in between to make sure that people don't sit in the same spot. I mean, and maybe in most places that work is done by volunteers. Yeah, you know, those are usually not people that were paid staff. Those that's done by like Lisa, my, I, 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 the volunteers and the sacrifices that people have made. It's incredible. And they do so, they, you know, they get all masked up and, and everything, even with you all that, you know, so it's it just, uh, it, it's very, I mean, it's edifying to see people's dedication. I want to take a minute to thank those people. Mm-hmm, if they're sure. listening, uh, you know, it's just, uh, th- let's face it, we've all been through a tough time the past few months. But I think, uh, in my estimation, we we have also learned a great lesson about uh, perseverance, about Faith. I mean, all of us now, when, when you don't have the Eucharist every single week, when you can't receive the Lord every week, now now we can. I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania and we're, we're able to. Um, you realize, you know, when, when the what the blessing, what it really is and what it means to you and your family and your community and the whole country and the world. I mean, we have to search our hearts and say, you know, our faith does mean something to us. Tending mass does mean a great deal. So I don't know about you, Father, but I think that's a lesson for for all of us during this time is mm-hmm. to to understand when you don't have when you're not able to receive uh, how great it is that we can at this point. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's I, I, and we talked about this before, you know, um, well, in in other contexts, but you know that 
also, you know, it's also been a time um, to really, um, you know, appreciate what we have and not take it for granted. You know, I mean, and the, the, the fact is, you know, through this, through this, you know, pandemic and, 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 you know, giving, dispensing people from the Sunday obligation, the fact is, um, there were those that are on the, on the fence and we're going to lose them for the time, but we can't be content mm. with losing them. Yeah. And so those of us who have remained and, and recognize the distinctions, you know, the, and the, the careful line that we've had to toe here, but, you know, but those of us that, you know, that, that are, are, that participate in the faith, not because it's an obligation, but because it's our desire our desire to, desire. to draw, be drawn into the life mm-hmm. of God and make him part of our life. You know, we, uh, we, we've got a great task uh, as we come out of this, whenever we do, um, to be able to, to share that, you know, with others. And we're doing so, um, as my parishioners are probably getting sick of saying, we're doing so in a time where we receive hostility for doing so. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but we can never, never stop trying to bring that good news to bring that love of, of God's mercy, you know, to others and, and you know, in, invite them back, uh, um, you know, and, and, you know, help them grow to, to realize, you know, wait, you know, we don't do this merely because we have to or merely because what's been what we've done all of our lives, but we do it because we're in a relationship. We're in a relationship that we want to grow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, and father, that's such an important point, you know, where you talk about the relationship that's people, people need to hear that, you know, mm-hmm. this is, we can talk a lot about obligations and Sunday obligations being lifted and all those things. But the reason why we're doing what we do is because we love a person. We love a, he's a real person. A person. You know? and, yeah. and, and of course he's our God, but, but he's, but he's a real person. And, and he comes to us, you know, I, I often joke around and, and, and say, you know, when it comes to the Eucharist, that you can't get it at a hot dog stand in Chicago. You can't get it at a, at a uh, you know, cheesesteak shop in Philly. You can't get it anywhere else but a, but, but a Catholic church. And I don't mean to sound flippant, and I don't mean to sound, mm. you know, like I am, you know, degrading the Eucharist in any way, but there are people that just expect, expect that you can get, you know, your, your faith and and the gift that the catholic church offers just by doing the bare minimum or by right. yeah. or by you know go oh, well there it is oh yeah okay i'm going to i'm going to listen to a podcast today and get mm-hmm. and, and and get my wisdom i mean as wonderful as sowing hope is and as and as dedicated as <laughs> we've done yeah. we we cannot confect yes, the yeah. eucharist no we no. cannot confect the Eucharist. I only can get it in one place, and, <laughs> and and that's through a Catholic priest's hands at a Catholic church in a Catholic mass. I can't get it anywhere else. So, mm-hmm. so right, and and that's how committed I am to to the Eucharist. You know what I mean? That's how committed I am. That's what I I I, I desire it, not because mm-hmm. the, you know you know the church says okay, I need to go to church every Sunday. It's because I want to be and have Amen. that person. That's right. Uh, it's about a person. And, and Bill, you're right. You, you, you can't be filled on the Sewing Hope podcast, yeah. even though as much as it's a great podcast, uh, we, we can't go so far as to supply all these mm-hmm. uh, sacraments of the church, right? And the yeah. gifts of the church, but you can be uh, enriched here. So, I mean, um, 
Great yeah, you know, and, 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 and Bill, as you were talking, you know, when, when, when we were in the early days of this pandemic spreading and, you know, it was like this gradual application of various regulations. Okay, we're going to do, we have to do this and we got to do this. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'll admit, you know, I'm human too. I get frustrated. And, and at the beginning, I thought, I thought to myself, well, where's the faith of the bishops? What's wrong with them? Don't they believe it? You know? But then we, if we think about it, if we really think about it, you know, if if we were just merely only if if the spirit was all that was important and our body wasn't important and didn't have dignity, then this response would be ridiculous. But the fact is, as humans, we are body and spirit. And our body just doesn't have dignity after it's resurrected at the end of the eschaton, you know, and in heaven. Mm-hmm but our body does have dignity here in this world. And so we do have a responsibility to treat it with dignity. And so we can't willy nilly, you know, expose it to sickness and things like that if we can't protect it. And that's difficult. It's a difficult balance because yeah, we do need the Eucharist. We believe in that miraculous power of the Eucharist, but we also are bodily creatures. And so, you know, and so, some places the response probably has been better than others. None of us have gone through this in our lifetime. We've probably made mistakes. At times we've given confusing messages. That's the imperfectness of it all. But let us not get so cynical as to pass, to play God and pass judgment on the motives of our leaders. Right. And I, I, I fell into that temptation. I, you know, I have to confess that and receive God's forgiveness, mm-hmm. you know, but it, there were difficult decisions made and they, you know, and again, some were good, some mistakes made. Yeah. But again, it is part of that wholeness and that fullness of our faith where we do recognize the dignity of the body, body and soul. Um, and so we, we really need to see our response also as an expression of that. Because you know, certainly that permeates all the other parts of our faith. We want to talk about theology, the body. We want to talk about pro-life. Um, you know that in the um, the proper use of our human sexuality. That's because we're bodily creatures. Yeah, we are both spirit and body. So we have to also apply that even to the pandemic. Oh, that makes complete sense. Wow, I never heard it put that quite that way. But the guarding of of uh, our health. Mm-hmm. really does have something to do with uh, the fact that we are bodily creatures and God made that body. And yeah, we should uh, take care of it mm-hmm. and take care of others. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's what you're yeah. doing as a church. It, and yeah. I think it goes back to what you always say, kindness, dignity, and respect. That's not just an individual aspect, but it's also, we, we can look at that as a group aspect mm-hmm. for our community, the state, the country, the whole world. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. it goes beyond that. Uh, I didn't know if you had any other words about the pandemic because, you know, we're kind of coming out of it in some ways. Now there's some people who think that in the fall and in the, in the winter time, yeah. you know, well, is you, it going mean, to come back? You know, there's, there's still, I think, I mean, you know, and again, I'm no medical expert and uh, even <laughs> the medical experts don't always agree on everything, which is, which is an important thing. We do have to remember and, and that in mercy, even the medical, the medical sciences aren't perfect. And yeah. sometimes we treat the medical sciences almost as a God. Now, 
our, you know, our medical professionals are extremely dedicated. And you know, my brother is a trauma nurse. He himself was almost killed by the coronavirus. And now he's working in one of the, in probably the, the biggest hotspot of the country in Miami. They are overwhelmed right now in Miami with the virus, you know, so these, you know, so th they're doing their best, but you know what, that's imperfect. And so like one day, you're, you know, and I, I think maybe this should wake us up to because unfortunately people will often treat science as a God and then use that, you know, it, it can be used, it can be used for great good, which God intends it. And in fact, people, a lot of people don't realize that the modern sciences actually kind of grew out of the church. The church always has embraced science, but we have to recognize that it is imperfect. And, you know, so we, um, you know, it, it can be kind of crazy because, okay, you hear one doctor say one thing, another say another thing, then they argue and, and there's condemning each other and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, in mercy and humility, we need everybody to admit, okay, you know what, we're going to do our best, yeah. but it's not perfect. And in 20 years, we might look back and learn something that totally, totally <laughs> discredits what we're doing today. <laughs> but we have to accept that in humility. And, and, and that's where when we kind of going back and tying into what we were talking about with the different things going on in our country now you know we are the cancel culture wants to look back from what we know today and label everything of the past evil was there evil in the past you betcha was there some things that were done by today's standards we couldn't do today because you know in that context they didn't have the knowledge that we have now yeah yes and so we have, this should be teaching us that we do have to look at things. Even when we read the scriptures, we look at them from the, we have to understand the context in which Jesus lived to present them, you know, and, and, and then, okay, what is the enduring message that is timeless no matter what? And what are the parts of the message that are particular to that context? We have to understand that or we can actually present then somehow as God's will, something that's not God's will. That's right. And I know that I want to just mention this to you and, and see if you had any words. You were the one uh, when we, we, when we started to see some of the historical statues be mm. uh, pushed to the ground, mm -hmm. you know, thrown into waters and things like mm -hmm. that. You said next is going to come the religious oh. statues and next, unfortunately, sometimes they come after people. Can yeah. you speak on that a little bit? Well, I mean, it's just something we've seen through history uh, as a Mercedarian. Um, and, you know, I, I won't have time to go, maybe it could be another topic some other time. But, um, you know, we had our, our, our martyrs uh, in the Spanish Civil War. And um, my Mercedarian brothers and sisters and the people I parish, they often hear me compare to what's, what's going on now. Uh, I mean, you know, there's different historical comparisons that people make. For me, my point of reference is is the Spanish Civil War, and when you know when that was going on, and that was a struggle um, between you know the far right and a struggle between Marxism, um, and you know it was uh, it was the atheistic uh, of Mar the atheists of Marxists that began destroying first of all. Yeah, the statues. It began with the statues, the secular statue. Then it went to destroying the religious images. Well, eventually you run out of images to destroy. You run out of the uh, icons to, to, to smash. And so 
Next, you have to then, what's the next symbol? It's the living symbols of the past that you want to eradicate. And in the case of the Spanish Civil War, that symbol was the people of faith, faithful Catholics, the laity, faithful religious bishops and priests. And so they began to be rounded up and it was either, okay, either, you know, um, denounce your faith and proclaim our message or die. And, um, you know, again, unless we have to learn from history, that's the pattern. And it didn't just happen in Spain. Again, that's my point of reference. It's happened all over the world through the 20th century, before that, and then into now. And so, you know, today it begins with the secular images. You know, some of the secular images that, you know, probably should have come down. Um, it would be nice if that would be done, you know, in the public square and decisions through elections, uh, rather than just, you know, tearing down, through, you know, because that just, it creates animosity and it causes people maybe that that should listen to your message, they, they might close their ears to it, you know, rather than listening to it. But yes. so it begins with that. Then it goes to other images, some images which are torn down, not because of truth, but because of lies that have been perpetuated and now accepted as truth, or they've been torn down because of what I talked about, where you're not looking at context. And so we're judging the past by what we know now. And then those are going to be gone. And now we begin to see, we saw an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary burned in Boston. We, um, you know, we, we've seen, and that's, that's not, I, there, there, there have been statues for the last few years, statues or images, again, which remind us of the saints, destroyed all over this country and in other countries. Again, uh, churches um, vandalized, spray painting on church, swastikas, other messages. Um, but again, eventually you run out of physical objects or when damaging the phys physical objects no longer achieves the goal then it will become, you know, violence. And I, I was just listening to an, um, uh, an interview on another a secular radio show yesterday um, where they were going through even some of the inspirations behind um, what, what some of the violence um, and destruction going on now. And, and the argument even goes back to the 1960s where there were people that said, well, you know what? Peaceful protests don't bring change. Violence does. And that's the spirit of the world. And so... You know, now look, we're actually there is some truth to that. It's 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 a false message and it's the devil's message, but unfortunately, we have we have we have changes being made right now, not because of dialogue, not because of prayer, not because of of peace, but because of violence. And what does that say? It says, you know what, the violence works. Now, wow, if I got that change from destroying a statue and burning down businesses, how much more change can I get by physically hurting people or even killing people? Now people are going to really be afraid of me and listen. That's what happens. That's what's happened in history. That's the, dan what's the danger of what could happen now. And you know what? We as Christians and as Catholics, um, you know, we don't like those times, but it, it you know, this is where we will find our solace in the heart of Christ. And just as Christ gave those early Christians the courage to stand up and face the lions in the, in the Colosseum, in the arena, as he's given Christians throughout history the courage to stand up you know, in the face, 
you know, in, in, in the face of, of persecution, you know, he will give us that strength uh, to stand up um, and, 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 and remove our fear. And so we, you know, we must turn to him. If, you know, if we turn to violence ourselves, um, we're, we're not going to be preserved from that fear and that inner strength. And so, um, you know, it, we don't like to hear it a lot, but, you know, we do, the body will resemble the head and, and Christ went to Calvary. He didn't fight back. He didn't build an army around himself, but he, he placed himself in his father's hands. Um, and that may be what some of us will be called to do in the coming years. Thank you for sharing that. I think it needed to be said. Um, so grateful for you to be on the podcast and, and you know, you're going to be a guest again, <laughs> you and the other mercedarians. I mean, they've been probably mm -hmm. between sowing hope podcast and journeys in faith, yeah. uh, on Friday nights at eight 30. Uh, Eastern on Facebook at Fiat Ministry Network. Every week we've had wonderful guests, including Mercedarians. In fact, they were my first guests on mm -hmm. that show. So thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. It was, uh, like I said, it's hard to hear, but it's we need to hear it. And I know that you thought and prayed about these things for a long time. Um, the truth sometimes is hard to hear. But um, but we it's it's a blessing to be able to discuss these things. Yeah, and it gives us hope. It really it does. Gives it gives us hope. hope. That's right. It does. You it, know, the, the it's truth all good. will always give us hope. The truth the will end. always give us hope. Mm -hmm. Um and and so uh yeah, Father, thank you uh so much. And you know, there's one thing I'll just close with this, um, you know, that popped in my head as you were talking, and it simply is, you know, where do we turn? Where mm -hmm. and just think about it, think about this through the next couple of days. Where do we turn when we cannot find things that are explained, you know, in our society. Where, where, to what do we turn? Do we turn to our anger and, angry and violence? Do we turn to, you know, ripping down statues? Do, where do we turn when we find things that we cannot explain in our lives or that society cannot explain to us? And uh, I think that's an important question for each and every listener who's listening to this, just to reflect upon. It's not necessarily something you have to, you know, answer for for the world right now, and I certainly can't answer it for you uh, who are listening to this, but just take some time to reflect on where, where are you turning and what do you turn to when the world cannot explain something to you? You know, do you, do you turn inward and do you turn to violence and do you turn to, um, you know, sin or do you turn to God? Where, what, what, what do you turn to? And I, and, and I think that that will solve a lot of the questions, if we can, or a lot of the problems, if we can answer that question just for ourselves personally. Um, and so, Father, thank you so much for uh, being here and you know talking with us uh, today. It, yes, certainly, definitely have you back um, on uh, sowing hope. And I just want to give uh, the websites again before uh, we close here, real quickly. Uh, orderofmercy.org uh, is the Mercedarian religious order. If you want to learn more about. Uh, what the Mercedarian Religious Order does, uh, head over to orderofmercy.org. And then you can also visit nonatus.org, which is the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation, uh, of course, which Anne is the director of. So you can always uh, email us at sowinghope at uh, patchworkheart.org. Again, sowinghope at patchworkheart.org. 
org, and uh, you know that way you can always get uh, the latest information about our podcast and guests. Or if you miss something you want to discuss further, uh, simply email us there, and both Ann and I get that email, and we'll be able to respond to you sure. um, in a timely manner. So thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Um, and uh, Bill, Bill, would yeah. you like me to give a prayer and a blessing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was hoping to. Yes. I was oh, hoping okay. to. Thank yeah, you all. Right. all. I've got to breathe. Thank <laughs> you. Right. No problem. <laughs> yeah, in the name of it. the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray, O oh God, your Son took on the status of a servant so as to redeem the human race from the slavery of sin. Bestow on those who are captives the liberty that you granted to all human beings to be your sons and daughters. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of Almighty God come upon all of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 Well, thanks, <laughs> folks, for tuning in. Thank you, Father, for reminding me about the blessing. I always do that, and it just uh, slipped my mind. So thank you. But until next time, from all of us here at Patchwork Heart Ministry, I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sowing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2. Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today.